0: Welcome to Camp Constitution Radio with your host, Hal Shirtliff. This show was heard on WBCQ, uh, the planet, every Monday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time and every Friday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It is also heard on IPMNation.org, and that's IPM, all lowercase, nation, uppercase with an N, And every Saturday morning at 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, you can also listen to the show on our YouTube channel, Camp Constitution, and on Podomatic. Uh, Just go to podomatic.com and put in Camp Constitution Radio, and you can hear our shows. We archive them. There's another place we archive them, but we only got a couple of hours worth of shows. So, well, welcome again to the show. This show is brought to you by Camp Constitution, which among other things, runs a week-long family camp. And camp our 2018 camp uh, is going to be held from August 5th to the 11th in the beautiful Berkshires of Western Massachusetts. And we've got a really great lineup. Well, we have a great lineup every year, but I think we might be topping it for our 10th annual camp. That would include instructors like Lord Christopher Monckton, Mr. John McManus, then we have Mrs. Chrisanne Hall, Professor Willie Soon, and Dr. Duke Pesta, among others. And we're really ex- excited about our program. And uh, even though it's still February, we uh, we've been uh, scheduling classes and making arrangements. And so it's a, kind of a year-round planning to make this p- to pull a great camp like this up. We're also looking into expanding our camp, and that's why the listeners' uh, your support is so important. If you could help us out not just to keep shows like this show on the air, but also to help expand our program. Uh, <clears throat> I don't mean our radio program necessarily, but I mean our overall program. Uh, we like to start a few other camps, and uh, you can visit us on our on our website. We have a PayPal account. And you can make a donation, become a camp sponsor, uh, participate, you know, host an event. Uh, we have a speaker's bureau, so consider hosting one of our speakers. Uh, and you know, just visit our website and for that information, campconstitution dot net. Well, folks, last week was a pretty busy news week here in the good old USA. The uh, the FBI, the infamous FBI memo was finally uh, revealed or released, and I'm not going to get into a lot of the comments on the issues on the FBI. FBI. Um, I think there are some great commentators out there that have dissected this, uh, and and will continue to do so. We hope that it will lead to some prosecutions of the deep staters, especially in the FBI. What's interesting about the FBI, it was uh, one time considered a sort of a pro-American patriotic entity that you can pretty re- pretty much rely on the agents. They had great character. And I'm sure there are still some very good agents in the FBI, but it has become a real rotten entity. And uh, I know J. K. Hoover had his issues. Uh, but I couldn't imagine him uh, participating in a memo where uh, they ma- made up a story that uh, Trump hired Russian prostitutes to urinate on a bed that Obama slept in, and that's the mindset of these disgusting people. That's what we're dealing with. Um, but the FBI has become under uh, criticism. I remember in the in the '90s during the uh, Clinton administration, Louis Free was the director at that time. And Louis Free goes over to the Soviet Union, or what used to be called the Soviet Union, and meets with his um, KGB counterpart. Uh, of course, they renamed it FSB, or whatever they call it. And he said, uh, together we are invincible. And I could imagine Jack Hoover doing that. And, and then, of course, the, uh, what happened at Ruby Ridge. I know there was some FBI involvement in that. Uh, FBI sharpshooter. And the FBI sharpshooters, uh, they they are one of the some of the best sharpshooters in the world, and they that Lon Hirochi, I think his name is saw that it was a woman holding a baby, and she shot her. He shot her right between the eyes. Shot her dead. That's really we've come a long way since the day of J Edgar Hoover. Uh, let's say, and uh, again Hoover had his issues, and I'm not necessarily thinking he was the greatest uh, director there, but we've got some serious problems when people in the FBI want to take down a president and uh, with the co- co- colluding with the Democrat Party. So um, we're hoping, I'm hoping that there'll be some arrest coming out of this, some real, some, and the problem is the FBI should not be a partisan entity and it's become a partisan entity. And, and that's, that's really the issue here. The FBI is not the plaything of the Republican Party or the Democrat Party. It has a specific job. It used to be just to gather information, Federal Bureau of Investigation. They didn't even have the power of arrest, and now they're they're a big force upon themselves. They're training local police departments and militarizing our military – I mean, I'm sorry, our police department. So that really has to be reined in, and let's hope that will happen, as well as the CIA and these other intel-gathering entities that are costing the taxpayers billions of dollars and also uh, where we're losing our freedom. So, so again, there's lots of great commentary out there. Um, I did want to talk, uh, this month, February, has been designated Black History Month. And I am not a fan of black history or white history or brown history or female history or this group's history or that group's history. I think history is, should be colorblind. However, I will acknowledge that there are a lot of contributions made by black Americans that have been not as well known, and that doesn't necessarily mean it was racism because of it, because of racism. Uh, for example, um, you know, you read your World War II history. You're not going to read a whole lot about the average foot soldier, the sergeants, lieutenants, the captains, unless there's, an, you know, like Audie Murphy, there's some examples where somebody One of the wars distinguished themselves, you know, sergeants and privates. But for the most part, you're going to read about the admirals and generals and the politicians that were involved in the war somehow, Churchill and Roosevelt and Stalin and Hitler and the generals, uh, Rommel and Patton, who was one of my favorites, and so forth. But there was lots of contributions made by, um, by people who aren't at that level and it, it's not as well-known. Um, of course, there was the first black general, uh, General Davis. who uh, came out of World War II. Um, and we at Camp Constitution do enjoy uh, teaching people about the great contributions made by many black Americans. We primarily focus on the Revolutionary War, but not not entirely. In fact, usually on the way to camp, uh, I over the last nine years, I live in the city of Boston, we go through the town of Ashby, Massachusetts, which is on the New Hampshire border in central Massachusetts. We visit the gravesite of Prince Estabrook. Now, Prince Estabrook was from Lexington, Massachusetts. He was a slave. He was also a member of the Lexington militia. He answered the alarm on April the evening, or I should say April 18th, the night of April 18th, and he was one of the men wounded at the Battle of Lexington on Lexington Green. And every year, the Lexington Minutemen, uh, which is not a real entity, it's a ceremonial entity, I should say. They're not an action militia unit, uh, certified under the U.S., under the control of the governor of Massachusetts. But they, um, they do an incredible reenactment. And there's a gentleman now, he's now in his early 80s, and he's been doing this for 30 plus years. I believe Prince was probably in his early 20s, maybe late 20s, when he was wounded. But Prince uh, was a slave. He did get his freedom. He spent, I believe, five years after he was a Lexington militia member. He ended up enlisting in the, uh, in the, in the army. He served in New York, Upper State New York, very gallantly and bravely. And so that, and a lot of people just don't know his story. Uh, and I think it's important. And that's why we like to talk about people like Prince Estabrook. And there's a book about him. Also in the town of Jaffrey, now our camp used to be in the town of Ridge, New Hampshire. Just uh, a short distance, uh, Jaffrey actually borders New Hampshire. And there's an incredible story of uh, a man that uh, bought his freedom. Um, he was a slave in, in the uh, North Shore of Boston. And he bought his freedom. His name is Amos Fortune. And he was an older man. He was in his 60s when he bought his freedom. And he bought the freedom of a woman whom he married. And she died after a short time after they got married. And he ended up buying another woman. And they moved to Jaffrey. Now, he was a tanner, very talented man. Uh, and he was ordered out. And what that means, it doesn't mean that he couldn't go into the town and live in the town. It meant that the town's charity would not support him if necessary. But when in a very short time, he became a pillar of the community. He became uh, very much beloved. He was a member of the local church. He lived a long life. And if you visit that little town, you'll see uh, his humble little home um, <clears throat> and uh, quite a testimony to his character. There's historical plaques there in the library on the second floor. There's a beautiful display of, uh, of some of his artifacts and his life. And When he died, he gave his, he gave his uh, estate to the church and also to set up a fund in town which still exists. And I think this is important because the narrative, Black History Month uh, has been co-opted by the left because they control the culture, they control the universities, they control most of the media. And so they highlight uh, mostly leftist people who did not like the United States. There are some exceptions, but most of the historical black figures that they promote would be socialists or Marxists or what have you, and not uh, people like Princess Book, which you're not going to hear about on Black History uh, Month, most likely, and you hear it from people like me, or Amos Fortune. You're not going to hear about Salem Poor or P- Peter Salem, who were fought at Bunker Hill during the Battle of Bunker Hill. Um, um, now, there's uh, one particular person that I would like to highlight. and Oh, by the way, let me give a little history. Uh, Black History Month started out as Black History Week. I think there was a university in New York, I can't remember what town it was exactly, that uh they designated the week of February fourteenth and twelfth and fourteenth, that whatever week that fell on as Black History Week. This would be back in the sixties and seventies, because Abraham Lincoln was born on the twelfth and Frederick Douglass was born on the fourteenth. Um but it became Black History Month, Gerald Ford, 1976, designated month of February as Black History Month. <clears throat> so I, I remember one time I was having a, a debate with a white liberal, and he was talking about black history and the accomplishments of blacks and what have you. And this very condescending white liberal who lived in the suburbs. And uh, at the time I was living in a neighborhood that was predominantly black. And he's telling me that, uh, that I really need to get a travel around the country and experience things. And, you know, I'll have a better perspective, you know, I would have a liberal perspective. And I said, I have traveled somewhat. I've been to the deep South. I, you know, I've roomed with blacks. I said, uh, the only time you ever see blacks is when you watch football on Sundays. And some of my black coworkers, whom I was very friendly, thought that was pretty funny. And anyway, um. These uh, a lot of these white liberals have a very condescending attitude uh, towards. But he was typical of the white liberals that had that attitude. So, anyway, um, so I think it's part of our job is to highlight the the uh, accomplishments of black Americans uh, who were patriots and promoted liberty. And even though they came you know, had a lot of obstacles and faced discrimination and racism, but not, but not always that wasn't always the case though. Now, there's one black American that you will not hear highlighted by the left. She is the the late Dr. Mildred Jefferson. If you visit my Facebook page, you will see a younger version of yours truly with this beautiful lady. She was born in segregated Texas, uh, became the first black woman to graduate from Harvard Medical School. In fact, Dr. Jefferson didn't like the term black. She preferred the term Negro, and it was kind of, you know, a little awkward to introduce her to podium. Uh, as a Negro, and she said that I do not want Jesse Jackson to tell people what you know. On call, she says I'm very proud of being a Negro, and the term black used to be a derisive term for for, for black for black people back uh, when she was. Um, so she passed away in 2010 in October of 2010. She, uh, I think, the last is most likely the last presentations a public meeting, or last time she came to a speaking event, was at Camp Constitution, and that short presentation, about seven or eight minutes long, is on our YouTube channel. Uh, Dr. Jefferson was a pioneer in the Right to Life movement, and uh, she, she could have, you know, she told me that after she graduated and she started working in the Boston area, and she said, every time I sneezed, the Boston Globe would write a story about her. And then they found out that she was a conservative, that she was a Christian, that she was pro life. They wanted nothing to do with her. Not only that, but the Republican Party of Massachusetts didn't want much to do with her either, because the Republican Party of Massachusetts has been for many years run by what we used to call the limousine liberals. Now they're the rhinos, Republican name only, Republican in name only. And they wanted nothing to do with this outspoken, brilliant woman. She could debate anybody, and uh, my late friend Samuel Blumenfeld knew her, and they were close friends, and he told me that she was the most brilliant person he has ever met. Now, that's saying a whole lot since Sam knew a lot of brilliant people in his lifetime, so I have to, so she's somebody uh, that needs to be acknowledged and honored, and you can, you can go to our YouTube channel and just put in Dr. Mildred Jefferson Last year, her hometown in Texas, uh, they they, they uh, an artist did a bust of her it's at the public at the public school there. I was invited to attend Pittsburgh, Texas, I believe is the name of the town, but I was unavailable. I wasn't able to go. So, but I'm very glad that her uh, legacy lives on, and that more people should know. Uh, she told me that she had a meeting with the uh, candidate Ronald Reagan, and convinced him of the pro-life position. And I guess between Phyllis Schlafly and Dr. Jefferson, the two of them, helped Ronald Reagan change his position because Reagan was very much in favor of abortion. Not only that, he signed into law one of, if not the first, law to uh, a bill to decriminalize abortion, making it legal in California. Uh, a lot of people don't know that, but in the, and I believe his his pro-life position, if it was sincere, I hope it was, uh, no doubt got him a number of votes, especially from uh, Catholic, Democrat Catholics. So that um, was, was a very interesting uh, thing there. Um, there's somebody else. There's a there's a father and daughter team that I like to bring out too: uh, George and Philippa Schuyler. Now, George Schuyler, he was born in Providence, Rhode Island in 1895, uh, was a socialist, joined the army. Uh, he actually became a lieutenant, and he deserted. This would not, he didn't desert in combat, he deserted. Because of the uh, racism, he he uncovered discrimination. He served a little time in the brig, about nine months in prison, and uh, he started being, he was a journalist for the Pittsburgh Courier. But along the way, he became an outspoken conservative, so he changed his socialist position to an advocate of free market liberty, ended up writing for the American Opinion magazine, and a uh, brilliant, brilliant man. H.L. Uh, Mencken uh, said he was, uh, he was called the black H.L. Mencken. Now, I've got some issues with H.L. Mencken, uh, but he did write some brilliant things. His, his atheism was a problem with me, uh, but he did have, uh, he, he was a very uh, interesting writer, and probably his essays are worth reading. But uh, George Schuyler, not as well known, and he passed away in 1977. Now, I found. Um, he debated Malcolm X. He and James Baldwin and a, and a man named Eric Lincoln, Professor Eric C. Lincoln, or C. Eric Lincoln, who was an author, wrote. He was a conservative black uh, writer, and I was. Uh, George Schuyler had wrote an article in American Opinion about the Malcolm X and the Black Muslims, and he said that he debated Malcolm X and. Schooled him. Malcolm X uh, was of the notion that it was the whites, white Christians, and Europeans that the first ones to enslave blacks, sub-Saharan African blacks, and he pointed out that uh, it was the Muslims that introduced slavery in sub-Saharan Africa, and he made reference to a black. I don't mean a black Muslim, as in a U.S. black Muslim. That's a a Muslim of the black race living in. Madagascar. he can't remember his name, and he said that there's even a statue of him in Madagascar. He said he was a notorious black slave owner and um, slave owner and slave um, uh, dealer. He bought and sold slaves, om- almost every one of them black. And Malcolm X didn't know this. He knew nothing about it. So Schuyler, um, uh, he wrote a book called Black and Conservative and then another one called Black No More. I did get a chance to read Black and Conservative, and it was uh, it was it's a great book, and it's available on Amazon for not I'd say short money five six bucks. It may even been reprinted since uh, he published it. Um, His daughter Philippa Schuyler now now, Philippa was uh, the the daughter she was of mixed race. Uh, George's wife uh, was a, a woman from from Texas. Actually, uh, she was the, I guess, a granddaughter of slave owners. It was kind of interesting. Uh, But Philippa was a child prodigy. She was a concert pianist, and she traveled around the world. And she, uh, she was also a journalist. She wrote a couple of books. One of them is called "Who Killed the Congo," and another book called uh, "Good Men Die" about Vietnam. And she was on a journalistic mission, and she was helping some. Some people, some uh, an orphan, a Vietnamese orphan. She was helping some people, uh, some young children, and uh, the plane, the helicopter, she was in crash and she died. Uh, You can go to YouTube and find some of her uh, brilliant um, performances. And again, this is another person that is. She was very well known in her time in the 40s and 50s, but today, very few people know her. Although I did, I did visit the uh, the visitor center in Boston, the Black Freedom Trail. And I brought her name up, and the woman behind the counter just had a big old smile, and she says, oh, I we used to listen to her all the time. So it's important to sort of rediscover some of these people. Uh, you take a trip on the Black Freedom Trail in Boston, and it's a, it, it's a fascinating place, the Meeting House. Which is, now, it's interesting. The Meeting House is still owned by the, the original church, which relocated to Roxbury section of Boston and a trust, and also the federal government, the Park Department. But when you hear the term meeting house, it was used as a church. Churches were meeting houses because not only did they have services and church services and other things, but, and usually schools, but also public meetings, town meetings, town business was conducted, city business was conducted at these meeting houses. And that's still done today. You might even, when you vote, you might go to a church and vote in your church. So the idea of separation of church and state is some top, something enshrined in the First Amendment. Is if that's the case, then why do people go to? church Why did public officials use churches? And usually he said a prayer before and after the meeting. So, uh, but on the Freedom Trail, on this Black History, you learn about a man named Colonel Middleton. Uh, his house is still there. It's privately owned, and there's no. I don't even think there's a little plaque that commemorates that uh, on his house or his memory. But he was the leader of uh, George Middleton. He was the leader of a black militia unit during the Revolutionary War. And there's not very much known about it. It's really sad that uh, that you think that the records would exist. Boy, it would be something if they were ever found. And the fact that he was referred to as a colonel, that would have made him probably the first black military officer in the United States. And he lived a very long and uh, productive life. And John Hancock and his son pr- presented them with a flag. The Bucks of America was the name of the unit, even though it was mostly people from Boston. Um, and they, had, uh, they did their duty. They thought that they were probably more of a uh, guarding the city uh, of Boston and they also guarding some of the British prisoners. That may have been their primary function. But here, here again is an example of incredible contributions made by black Americans, even though they, they didn't all enjoy free, full rights, but they still believed in the country. They still believed in the future, and they knew they had something good here. And yeah, it took a long time before they could have full voting rights and become full citizens and have you. In fact, Massachusetts was one of the first states, I think it was the first state to abolish slavery, We didn't have a large slave population, although that doesn't mitigate it any, but it was thanks to the Massachusetts Constitution uh, where they they have to say, look, uh, it says here, free and equal, and bingo. Okay, you're free. And thankfully, um, that Massachusetts was the first state to uh, abolish slavery, and other states followed suit. Sadly, it took uh, took the results of a a civil war before the rest of the nation, uh, before slavery was abolished. But nevertheless... um, I know there's uh, these incredible contributions made by black Americans. And we, uh, at la- two years ago at Camp Constitution, we did a couple of classes. I did one entitled uh, uh, Black Americans of the Revolutionary War. It was based on a book written by, um, oh, you know, the name will come to you. It's called The um, Colored Patriots of the Revolutionary War. It was published in the 1840s. It was a black man who wrote the book. His name just slips me slips my mind at, at the time. Uh, incredible book, and he, goes, he highlights uh, black Americans uh, in New England, Pennsylvania, even in the South that made incredible contributions in the War for Independence. Uh, I, 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 so a lot of people have seen the uh, famous uh, crossing of the Delaware with George Washington standing up uh, in the boats on the ice as the ice is, uh, blocks of ice are uh, flowing. Well, there was a little uh, artistic license there, but in that boat, you'll see a black man and he was, uh, the sl- he was a slave, uh, his name was Whipple, I think it was Prince Whipple, and although it's not likely that he was actually in that boat at that time, he did uh, serve under, with George Washington and uh, made many sacrifices, and that's just one of the uh, men that I highlight in the presentation I gave, and then uh, my good friend, Reverend Stevie Craft, gave a little story of the first uh, one of the first men to die in the um, Re- before the Revolution War, one of the victims of, uh, of the Boston Massacre, Crispus Attucks. It was interesting, too. Uh, back when I was working in the post office, uh, one of my black co-worker friends, uh, good guy, he had a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, and he said something like, well, history is written by white people and so forth and so on. I said, okay. I said, uh, name, the bla- name the black man that was killed the Boston Massacre, and he said Crispus Attucks. You know, everybody knows that. Everybody, kid, at least if you lived around here in the '70s and '80s and went to a school, you would probably have learned that Crispus Attucks. And I said, "No, name the white people who got who died there." And he didn't. So I said, "See?" He said, "Okay, you got me." <laughs> but anyway, uh, he did a great class on Crispus Attucks. And one year we took a field trip to Boston uh, and the State House, and a little side trip to the old Granary Burying Ground where the the victims of the Boston massacre are buried, and Christmas Addicts was one of them. So um, I, I say, so I think it's important for us, for patriots, to reach out to the black community. Uh, the freedom message is not getting to enough black people. When you look at 90 to 95 percent of black Americans vote for socialism, they vote for Democrats. Uh, and it's almost as if the the white liberal Democrat has taken the vote for granted that the black will vote for us, no matter what we do. And it's interesting you'll find so many black Christians, so many with conservative values, they'll preach righteousness in the podium on Sunday, and then on Tuesday on voting day, they'll vote for the most odious leftist, somehow thinking that the Democrat Party is the party that's the, that of of the of the black. And by the way, the Republicans, the, I'm not suggesting the Republican Party is morally uh, has a moral high ground. Not that to say there aren't some good Republicans. Republican Party has its, I mean, it was uh, you know people like Nixon who was pro-abortion, pro and Nixon gave us the EPA and OSHA and so forth. So, uh, but you'll find more people who share conservative Christian values in the Republican Party and. Again, unfortunately, too many blacks to just vote. Demo- and the same thing with Hispanics. Probably more Hispanics. Uh, not as many with the Hispanics. but And that's, of course, why the Democrats just want to have open borders. Because they wanted so many of these Hispanics to come in thinking and justifiably so that they will take their vote for granted and they'll have a permanent uh, majority and usher in this new world order that they're itching to do. Well, I think we're kind of running out of time here. We got Just a few minutes left. So with a few minutes left, I'd like to talk a little bit about some of the things we do at Camp Constitution. Uh, In addition to the camp, uh, the St. Blumenfeld Archive, if you go to our website, you will see a little drop-down there, St. Blumenfeld, a little button. This archive contains much of the works of the late, great St. Blumenfeld, a pioneer in the homeschool movement. We really encourage you to look into that. It's a free service. All we do is require an email. And we may send you an occasional email about some of the things we do, uh, activities and what have you. Uh, In this archive, you have Sam's newsletters, some of his previously unpublished works, uh, some of his books that you can download, and especially his Alpha Phonics. And last year, we had 75,000 people download his Alpha Phonics. And that means that a lot of people all over the world, but mostly in the United States, are able to teach their children how to read the way reading should be without uh, phonetics. And it's a very simple workbook, and uh, you don't need to spend thousands of dollars on reading programs. All you need is this, and it's free. All 128 lessons. And if you're an older person and you've diagnosed as dyslexic, dyslexic yeah, um, this is the way to overcome it. We also have a speakers bureau, and you'll see some of the speakers we have. Just uh, hit that. And um, with the speakers bureau, we, what we do is we're sort of like a finder. Uh, we're not really we're not really charging any basic honorarium. That uh, hey, I'd like to have uh, Catherine White speak on the Constitution. I'd like to have Al Sherlock Kamer speak about this subject or that subject. We'll just uh, talk to you, negotiate, um, you know, cover our travel expenses, honorariums, pass the hat or whatever. We just want to get out there and get the word out. So um, I want to thank you folks for listening to our show again as i mentioned when the show started we are heard on ipm nation every saturday morning at 8 a.m eastern standard time we are heard on Potomatic. of course this the show on um, this show was aired twice a week um mondays at 7:30 p.m and then on fridays at 7 p.m and Potomatic and also on youtube with that i want to thank you for listening You've been listening to Camp Constitution Radio with your host, Hal Sherloff. And until next week, may God richly bless you. Pulling up to Mickey D's Just for Drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me